So thank you for that invitation. I mean, in uh, I don't know how do you say it when you, <laughs> but for the no uh, the information about the spring being here, my question uh, is from the science of self realization, and um, I was reading the science of self realization and got to the part. Uh, 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 chapter five, practicing yoga in the age of quarrel is in the super consciousness. And it states that is the supreme controller and situated in everyone's heart, but also in every atom. And then the next paragraph, it says he is known as the Paramatma and the Paramatma, the super soul. Or and by which the Lord is present everywhere. And that, like, I don't know, set me back going, wow, I thought the Paramatma resided in the souls of the individuals, but here the Paramatma is everywhere, even in the, the rocks and the trees. And so you wanted me to comment on that. What's that? So you wanted me to comment on that? Yeah, because okay. I, I figured it's far. I understand. Thank you for the, for the question. Yeah, um, the, uh, the term Paramatma um, is probably best understood by studying the Paramatma Sandarbha of Jiva Goswami. Sandarbha, that means six. Um, it's uh, six treaties, um, beginning with uh, Bhagwat, which is about the personality of the Godhead himself. Bhagwan and then the Paramatma Sandarbha about the Paramatma feature of, uh, of the Godhead. And then of course you have the Krishna Sandarbha, which is about Krishna, the Bhakti Sandarbha about Bhakti, the Preeti Sandarbha about uh, Prem, about love, Preeti, love of Krishna. And uh, of course, all that is prefaced by the Tattva Sandarbha. So those are the six, but the Paramatma Sandarbha, probably the best place to uh, go to uh, get a comprehensive understanding of this feature of the absolute. And uh, as per the Sandarbha for Jiva Goswami, Paramatma is an overarching term that refers to the idea that Vishnu as, as the um, source of the world of our experience, essential, sensual, mental, and intellectual experience is, as the word, as the name implies, all pervasive. So he is the source of the world. He enters into, let's say he's the source of the worlds. Okay, we have a multiverse kind of a conception. That, that said, of course, um, what the Bhagavatam refers to as a universe, what modern science refers to as a universe, we'd have to see if they're talking about the same thing. But at any rate, many worlds, whether they're galaxies or universes, um, um, it seems to refer to a multi, multiverse conception. So um, uh, the multiverse, the many worlds come from him, 
he enters into them and he enters into every aspect of them, which would imply that as the name Vishnu does, he is all pervasive. So the atheists sometimes say uh, that uh, where is God? They haven't seen him and the theist replies, where is he not? I see him everywhere in everything. Um, so um, the Gita says that, for example, um, Jagadavyaktamurtina. So um, the world is in me, I'm in the world. Uh, you, you can't get away from him. That's the basic idea. So uh, therefore the Paramatma refers to the, to speak the Purushas, Purusha avatars, the first descent from the spiritual world into the material world and the manifesting of the material world for that matter is in the form of the Mahavishnu. Then he expands as the, as the multiverse and enters into each one as sometimes referred to as Garbodakshai Vishnu. And then he enters into every heart, into every atom, into everything um, as uh, Chirodakshai Vishnu. So Mahavishnu, Karna, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, the causal uh, kind of beginning. Um, and, and then the um, Garbodakshai Vishnu and Shirodakshai Vishnu. They I mean they're given different names to help us understand them in different places, but these are all features of the Paramatma um, or manifestations of the Paramatma feature of the Godhead who presides over the world. So, yes, uh, it's, it's uh, to explain that sometimes it's said he is in every uh, atom in everything. It doesn't mean that everything is a jiva. That's another thing. Hmm? I mean, the, 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 uh, um, the stone may not be a jiva, some may be jewels and so forth, maybe yogis in a, in a state of prakriti nirvan. Um, that's another subject. Um, but if we say the animate and inanimate features, another way of talking about it, he's present in, in both. And it means he's behind everything. So the whole material nature is um, not independent in its uh, uh, genesis, and in its, in its um, function and in its uh, destruction. The destruction and the genesis would be an, an outgoing and an incoming, sometimes poetically depicted as the breath of Vishnu. It's interesting to note, I think Gurnishta was mentioning to me the other day that in recent times, in modern scientific writing, this idea of an expanding and contracting universe is becoming more prominent. And the state of contraction, I forget the, uh, the, the phrase that was used to describe it. Ernest, if you could chime in, you could help me, but it's, it's very analogous in our terms to susupti which means 
the, the world in, in, enfolds back into Vishnu and the jivas with them and their karma is suspended. So they're in a state of deep uh, sleep, which is kind of the in-between of the manifesting and the unmanifesting. It's interesting I think that, to note that, I, uh, yes, you're interesting. I think the term they use is the quantum cloud. Okay, here you're speaking. Um, oh. I, the, the English and mute original audio. Okay. Yeah, that's right. What quantum is it called? Cloud. Quantum cloud. It's this state where like time and space ceases to exist. And like the, uh, it's in between, according to uh, quantum uh, gravity, between the expansion and contraction of the uh, universe, it goes into this quantum cloud space, which is basically exactly like Susukt. Yeah. So according to quantum quantum gravitational perspective, uh, which is you know, more 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 uh, the the cutting edge perspective, the worlds come and go, come and go, and and they enter into the, the, um, the cloud where time and space is suspended. So it's very analogous to Suzuki. So it's interesting to note that the Vedic Rishi's notion of the world, um, I think more than any other explanation of the natural world uh, has correspondence with what's being found and described in different words um, by by modern science, and they're going about it, of course, in a different way, about understanding the world in a different manner. So their method or their um, the language with which they explain it uh, is understandably different, but, but there's considerable correspondence. So I think we're a little bit off track there, but uh, the Paramatma is, uh, again, all three of those forms of Vishnu are considered Paramatma. And the idea is that, that he's behind, within and without everything. Mm -hmm. So yes, what Prabhupada's writing is, is accurate. Thank you for the, for the question, Paramatma GP Jai. Jai, thank you so much. Okay. Lord Nishpringa Ki Jai. Okay, Jai. Uh, Taras, do you have a question? That was my attempt to uh, pronounce his name correctly. I don't know if it was right. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Of course he is. Some time ago, I have heard, um, or maybe I have read, I don't remember now, uh, how um, Bhaktivinoda Dakura is uh, speaking about uh, uh, different um, uh, religions. And uh, I remember his statement that when he comes like to a different um, like churches or like different holy places and he sees, you know, different uh, ways how um, God is being worshipped. So he just thinks that also um, oh, that's how they are worshipping Krishna here, like in, in different um, way. And also, uh, it was mentioned that uh, in different traditions there should be like a different equivalence uh, to what is in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Like, for example, if we um, if there are like the topmost thing is love for Krishna in 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 uh, in Vrindavan, 
So maybe in in different uh, traditions there are like like something different, but which gives the same emotional state to to the to the um, like worshiper. And uh, to my question from that would be like if there is you know if there could be a nam without a proper um, like without a proper um, meaning uh, behind it, the right uh, um, feeling behind it. Like you can pronounce Krishna's name, but without you know the correct uh, understanding. So, and that understanding you can get by by chanting, like uh, by cleaning yourself, and you know the getting that understanding. But is it possible to have a right understanding without practice of of nam without chanting, like to have the same equivalent uh, uh, feeling towards God or your understanding what God is as as we can get without the same practice as we do. Uh huh. Uh, yes, Bhakti uh, Vinod was uh, very much uh, in some respects a, a, a theistic uh, perennialist, and so he. Um, saw that there is an underlying uh, current of, of philosophical insight about the nature of being in the world that shows up in different cultures at different uh, times, and it's all speaking about the same uh, same thing. At the same time, that thing, that absolute, is variegated, so the descriptions may be different at different times and different uh, and, and different cultures and pertain to different aspects of the absolute. Um, who, for example, as the Bhagavatam says, has unlimited avatars, asankhya, descents, appearances uh, in, in, in the world. Bhaktivinotaku wrote in his Gita, one of his Gita commentaries regarded a verse in the fourth chapter that speaks about the um, Avatar Tattva, beginning of the fourth chapter. Samavami Yuge Yuge, he manifests again and again, Yuga after Yuga, and he says, that doesn't mean only in India. In other cultures, he may also appear as a Shakyavesh, he says, and be worshiped there accordingly. Um, so I think that um, in answer to your question, that um, the Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a particular dispensation. Uh, from the absolute, it's very extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It speaks about a realm, for example, in transcendence that the inhabitants of Vaikuntha don't know about. Just to underscore how extraordinary is that dispensation, but the private life, if you will, of Bhagwan, where he takes off his crown mm -hmm. and becomes intimate with his associates and um, his, he, he, is, he is more than God, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that idea is um, a extraordinary, as I say, dispensation or revelation that is initiated by Krishna himself. Mm -hmm. Vishnu couldn't do it. 
Krishna Narayan couldn't do a thing in Vaikuntha. Uh, so he's done it himself in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And out of an internal reason, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Of course, we, th- we also understand that prior to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance or independent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, Krishna also manifests in the world mm-hmm. to make his Leela known. But um, it's more fully known and that idea distributed by himself in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But in the other case, it's Krishna that makes this dispensation known. And the more broad conceptions of the absolute, of the Godhead, um, um, they're more readily available for people to tap into. They have been um, disseminated by different powerful people, Sharkadesh Avatar, like a Jesus, for example, as we would look at him. Um, and, and other great persons and, and so forth. Um, but to come to Rag Bhakti, if this is kind of your question, enter into the Brajalila of Krishna, uh, you, will, you will need the, the, um, to be connected with that dispensation. Even chanting the name of Krishna, hmm? may not be sufficient. Therefore, Reverend Das Goswami praises his guru in the context of doing, and so he says, Nam Shrestam. He says, among the other many things that you've given me, Nam Shrestam Api Satchiputram, the highest conception of the name, the Nam, as uh, disseminated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you have given me. So you can find people chanting Krishna Nam without the conceptual orientation, some bandhagyan given in Gaudiya Vaishnava, will attain a different result. The result will be transcendental and, and extraordinary, but for example, uh, they may be delivered from material existence and attain mukti and see Krishna to be a face of Narayan that he sometimes shows. Mm-hmm. But not that there's a realm that corresponds with that face and that it's the Mahavaikuntha and so on and so forth. So to, to get that a conception, you, you need to be connected with, um, with Gaudiya Vaishnava and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself has, has, has experienced and then wrote about it that the, even within the context of being born in Bengal and having some acquaintance with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and on that in his teaching and on that basis chanting, if the Sambandagyan or the corresponding knowledge uh, and conceptual orientation for Nam Shrestam, the highest conception of the name is not in place, then people won't make progress. And he witnessed it, he saw that they were, they were getting Nam and some general idea, but they weren't getting the teachings from their, uh, their gurus, sufficient siksha. So that's why there's such an emphasis on the part of Bhakti Vinod Thakur for siksha when writing so many books. Hmm? His books were 
bridge books, if you will, to the Goswami's books and so forth, uh, to more widely, as prophets could be seen as well in his time uh, in the Western worlds, to bring people into uh, a refined conception of tattva um, behind the name so that that will anyway, attain a corresponding volume. So all good in different cultures, different ideas um, uh, about uh, the Godhead are there, but go Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's dispensation is very specific. And we, we try to let everybody come in touch with that. Obviously, we disseminate that. But no, I don't think that um, you can. You, you, I have seen, I have seen and read some thinkers in different cultures uh, come up with ideas that correspond with the thinking of Gaudiya Vaishnavas. In my book, Aesthetic Vedanta, I quoted one Russian scholar, I forget his name, um, who gave a very nice, had a very nice idea that, that, the, that the fullest conception of the, of the Godhead hmm, cannot be the indeterminate uh, feature of the absolute that's common to, to all traditions, but that it must have more specificity and a more of a determinate nature in order to accept love, more, more, that's what we teach, basically. But then to put that together with the details to be able to apply oneself in the worship that would require um, to be fruitful in the full sense of the term, sadhusanga and, and the teaching and so forth. So does that help? Does that answer your question? Yes, it did, but I just would like to to add something like um, I'm I'm really struggling, you know, um, when I'm listening to like why this question came up, you know, because when you listen to people from different traditions, from different religions, they everyone they have, you know, some some attitude like uh, Padmanabha Swami mentions in his lectures that, you know, like, like a child who says that his mother is the best, you know, or his father is the best, you know, like uh, their religion is the best and their understanding of God is the best, the, the deepest, the most specific or whatever, the most, the most, you know. But um, I'm just thinking, you know, the children, usually they grow up. And when they grow up, they transcend that understanding, you know, that my mother is the best. They understand that everyone's mother is the best, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking... They understand, I understand your question. What they understand is that every mother is best for every son and every yes. daughter, but they still think my mother is the best. Hmm? For me. Hmm? So there's a subjective experience my tradition is the best. If you did not think that, why would you accept it? You're going to analyze with your limited ability and dependent upon your kind of the kind of sangha that you have, hmm, what is the best religion, let's say, or best spiritual path? Everybody's going to look for the best one hmm, in their estimation. And then they choose one. 
and they wouldn't choose one that they didn't think was the best. Hmm? And if they attain perfection in it, they'll think this is the best perfection. But they will also note that there are other perfections as well that have some common threads to them, their ego effacing uh, and, 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 and transcendent in nature and so forth. But transcendent is variegated. So while we think that the devotees of Narayan, that's best, who love him in awe and reverence, that's best for them. Hmm? And it really is. We teach that the nature of Ras is that each devotee feels that his is the best. Even if they step back from an objective perspective, away from their subjective experience, what we call tatasta vichar, or just objectively anal analyzing, they can say, well, that rasa, for example, does afford more intimacy. Hmm. Okay. Still, I like what I, my, I like my dasi rasa the best. Hmm. So I think that the maturity that you talk about in your analogy of a child thinking my mother is the best, then realizing every mother is the best. It's not that he gives away the, does away thinking that my mother is still the best. He just thinks, other, he realizes other mothers are the best for their sons and their daughters. Hmm? So there are many bests. Hmm? Instead of saying, my mother is the best and the only good one, everyone else is bad. That's the childish thing you want to get away from. Hmm? So the difference between the two perspectives. Does that help? Okay. Um, I forgot to tell you that we have um, eight questions. I know some of them can spill over into the next call, but I, yeah, I forgot to mention that to you. Um, a way of saying I should give shorter answers. I'm not, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not saying that, but like maybe a little bit. So, uh, Pamanava Swami, can you ask uh, one of the questions from the Spanish-speaking devotees? Yes. So he's asking if Sankirtan includes all those things. Well, um, there are different types of Kirtan. That's one thing. There's Nam Kirtan, there's Lila Kirtan. Guna Kirtan, chanting about the Leelas of Krishna, about his qualities, um, his name, Nam Kirtan. The reciting the Puranas or the Bhagavatam is a form of Kirtan. Also, Sukadev performed that and became perfect by that. So, different forms of Kirtan. The Sankirtan dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that was central uh, 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 
to his leela and the, and, the, and, the, and the method to his madness, if you will, uh, typically involved chanting uh, nam kirtan uh, aloud hmm? and in a group. Hmm? And, however, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, in some places, the chanting of Hari Thakur on a Japamala is also referred to as Sankirtan. So there, while Japa is, a, is considered to be an Anga of Dhyan or Smarnam rather than Kirtan, it's thought if you chant out loud, then it becomes an Anga sublitum of, of Kirtan. So, Krishna's Kaviraj anyway refers to, we would say, the out loud chanting of Krishna Nam, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, on Japa beads on the part of Haridas Thakur as a form of Sankirtan. Um, but more typically, it refers to a group of devotees getting together, and there's the leader and, and the response. And this is the Sankirtan that was manifest by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Take in 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 the, the courtyard of Shivas and then taken to the streets hmm? and a form of civil uh, um, disobedience from a political and social point of view, um, and um, of course as the um, uh, the, the means to the ideal that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, embodied. Goloker Premodan Harinam Sankirtan. Now, that said, of course, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasupitakur coined, coined the phrase Brihat Madanga, and his idea was that the Sankirtan, as we're speaking about it in public, could go a short distance, but if you take and put it in a book and print it, that message can go around the world. So he extended the idea of uh, kirtan to include publishing and dis distribution of literature. I don't think that, that is a, that's a classical kind of understanding of the term. And obviously, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wasn't publishing books, and uh, but the Goswamis were, of course. I think typically it would be a, you know it would be looked at differently than Sankirtan, but the idea that that the essence of the Kirtan, the teaching behind the Kirtan, hmm, which we were speaking about earlier in relation to uh, Tadas's question, um, is well served by publishing and circulating literature about it. Um, so I would say that classically speaking, Sankirtan refers to chanting out loud and in an assembly. Sankirtan, Sankirtan. Kirtan can be done singly out loud. That's also, um, but we wouldn't typically call it um, Sankirtan. So I hope that helps. That I should mention, though, that that, that said that, that that there may be circumstances in time and place in the world where performing Sankirtan, which was so central to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time and his 
his method of dissemination and in, in, in pursuing realization, um, despite that, it may be times and places where, the, where it, it doesn't serve our interest best. Hmm? Um, and other means for, for example, dissemination and even for our own progress may be more fruitful. Um, so that therefore the need for a dynamic understanding of the conception is, is, is there. Uh, I'll give you an example. We, in, in, many years ago in Bombay, um, where Prabhupada was establishing a temple and he was establishing it with some difficulty. There was some resistance from the public and the devotees would go out and send kirtan in the public, but they were not being uh, mocked by the, by the public. And uh, so Prabhupada told them to stop. That it wasn't serving its purpose. Hmm? Um, so sometimes there's this fanatical edge I've seen where you've got to do some kirtan, you've got to go out in public with two different color socks on and uh, and, and make some some kirtan. Otherwise, you're not really doing what yoga dharma is. So I wouldn't I wouldn't look at it in a fanatical way like that. Um, Chitta, do you want to ask your question? Sure. Good morning, Guru Maharaj. How you going? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. So I've been reading in the Profana Jivanamrita, and um, there's a verse in here where this is in the section on acceptance of the favorable, and Sri Vyasadeva says, if persons engaged in the devotional service of Lord Hari are, un un are unable to obtain food and shelter despite their attempts, or if their acquisitions are lost or destroyed, they should, without anxiety, absorb their hearts deeply in the thought of Lord Hari. And so that kind of got me thinking because in the context of surrender, of course, we know that one should accept Krishna as one's protector and maintainer. And also we hear from the Gita that he will carry what we have, what we lack and preserve what we have. So, just wondering what that that how does that how does the sadhika think of that verse like why why would that happen if one is trying to surrender to krishna and why would he allow that to happen and, and what was the thing that happened we lost we, the devotee lost we, something lost their whatever they any acquisitions they had the things that they had acquired or if they were unable to get food or shelter or whatever right why would bhagavan allow that to happen right the ways of God are difficult to understand, uh, but uh, there's a nice uh, statement, and you, you'll, you'll be familiar with it when I remind you of it, of, of the Bhagavatam, um, where Shiva asks, or, or I think maybe Raj Pritchard asks, why is it that the devotees of Shiva tend to be opulent in the devotee in terms of material possessions, and the devotees of uh, Vishnu tend to be poor, Mm -hmm. And Prabhupada liked this verse very much. Uh, the answer was, of course, that when someone is very dear to Vishnu, he takes everything away from them mm -hmm. because he knows that they're a Sharanagata, they're dependent upon him, they've embraced this, 
when I take everything away, they won't criticize me. Um, they'll instead, they'll take shelter of me that much more. I have nothing. I thought I had this, I thought I had that I could rely on. I can't, I have to rely only on Krishna. So Prabhupada, everything was taken away from him. He was living like a beggar. I mean, he had a reasonable life. He was a, had a family, he had a business, it was successful, uh, and so on and so forth. And step by step, all those things were taken away from him. He was just living in Vrindavan as, as a beggar. He didn't even have enough money to print his, 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 his published publications back to God at the time. Um, and so but what did he do? He, he, he just took shelter of Krishna that much more. And um, uh, that verse, he embraced that this is what's happening to me. Now, that's not how everybody's gonna react, every devotee, when things are taken away from them. Um, and, it, and it may not be that Krishna's taking, taking it away and it, and it may not be that they're, they're not that much uh, absorbed in the spirit of Krishna's maintaining me. And so there's gonna be a different uh, reaction, a different uh, re 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 result. Um, we are all under the influence of karma to some extent, even, even devotees, although the karma may be rendered different um, than it would have been um, had one not been engaged in bhakti. But, um, but anyway, to your, to your question, you know, why would Bhagavan take things away? The, the answer is that when he is actually involved and he's the one that takes them away, I'm saying it's not, you can say in a broad sense, he's taking things away sometimes, but you, you may not be that surrendered. You may be just in the midst of your karma. You may be still plugged in to the fan of the karmic world going around. And that's why things were taken away. But, but I'm a devotee sometimes. <laughs> but when Bhagwan actually takes things away, why would he do that? Because he loves you and he knows that if I take this last thing away and I embarrass this devotee, even embarrass him in the public, what will he do? He'll take shelter of me that much more. He'll go the distance, the final uh, step, and so forth. This is why Bhagwan does it. Otherwise, not necessarily him that's, that's doing it, only in the broadest, broadest sense. Does that help? Yeah, but that makes sense. Some people think, well, I took shelter of Krishna. Why did this happen to me? Well, you know, let's look at what it means to take shelter of Krishna. Are you engaged only in Angas of Bhakti? And that, that's how they're outlined in the Bhakti Siddha. The Angas for the words, there's Angas for the mind, there's Angas for the body to perform. Hmm? So the Angas for engaging your mind and intellect, for engaging your words. Engaging your actions. Not everybody's able to do that. Doesn't make them bad, but it, 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 it means that there's there, there's more to surrender than knowing the verse <laughs> and repeating it. All right. What else? I was just going to say that the pastime of Bali Maharaj is such a great pastime to read and kind of really understand the point of. Bhagavan taking away everything from his beloved devotee. 
Jai. Bali Maharaj, God. Jai. It seems like Sharda has a, a follow-up question in the chat. And she wrote, um, so does that mean that Krishna is testing us? But, but by taking things away? I mean, I'm, gu I'm guessing that that's what she means. Yes, okay, yeah. Krishna's actually taking away, yes. He's, I don't know if testing is the right, the right word, but giving us an opportunity to do, to do the right thing and come closer to him. We may not, but typically I don't think he would directly take things away from someone who wouldn't, as I was saying. Next question. Um, Padmanabha Swami, do you, uh, can you ask the other question from the Spanish speaking devotees? The Japa Mala enchanting Japa. I'm not sure I understand what what you're getting at by the question, but um, you know, Archang is one anga of bhakti, and um, uh, Japa is of Nam. Anamala is another anga of bhakti. They're both connected because they're both bhakti, but they're uh, separate angas. You may think of the deity while you while you chant nam on your beads. Um, they're not they're not you know disconnected, but they are distinct um, angas. And that's the best I can come up with, you know, based on your question. There may be more to your question than, than um, you're able to voice uh, to give me more to, to uh, think about and respond to, but um, that's my answer. Okay. Um, Omkar, do you want to ask your question? Sure. Jaguar Maharaj. Uh, my question has kind of been lingering a while as a non-question non in my mind, so I don't really know how to ask it, but it's about Shabda Brahman. And uh, the concept is pretty big. I think the Shabda Brahman is used even in the Gita in the sixth chapter. The 44th verse says, uh, 
Sabda Brahma Vivartate, which means to, would you translate it as a recitation of ritualistic, the, the ritualistic recitation of the Vedas? Um, so I'm wondering more in relations with, with how Guru imparts Sabda Brahman. How what? So, how Guru, uh, how guru? imparts Sabda Brahman. Yeah. Like say you would be, you would be sharing with, with Krishna Leelas to us. Uh, sorry, my mic's a bit off. Um, so how would it be that the Shabda Brahman would, would function? Because I hear it being talked about it being unable to be given via tapes or via letters, but then there's also initiations via letters and tapes. And just curious how, what's the breadth of Shabda Brahman? That makes well, sense. Well, I mean, the words together mean spiritual sound. Shabda Brahman. Um, it could mean sounds coming from Brahman, which would mean the original Vedas. That would be a conservative kind of type of a translation hmm? that, uh, that not everybody could hear. Hmm? The Rishis could hear it, and then they wrote about it in the form of an Upanishad. Hmm? Something like that. Um, and that writing about it in the form of an Upanishad was then identified maybe with that Rishi's name hmm? can be taken and recited by qualified persons. And that's considered Shabda Brahman. So we're extending the, the notion. Hmm? But in the broad sense, it means spiritual sound. So when we receive the mantra from the guru, we see classes on the Bhagavad, in the broad sense, we consider it all Shabda Brahman. Hmm? Spiritual sound. Now, obviously, as I give an example, you can, it can be written down. The Rishis are receiving something and they're through sound. It can't be heard by ordinary people. And then turning it into, into a text so that to, to, to minimize the value of the text, the name of Shabda Brahman um, doesn't seem too wise when the way you learn about the text, the, the, the term is, 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 is primarily from a text. Mm -hmm. um, so the Upanishads, yes, they're sounds, um, but the sounds can be recorded and and uh, I think that um, it's also worth underscoring the intention behind the, the transmission. So um, once Prabhupada invited Pujapat Sridhar to Navadweep to oversee the installation of the Ananta Seshtini, which is going into the foundation of the temple the Prabhupada wanted to build there. So he wanted the blessing of Pujapachitamarsh. Sridamarsh came and then they had lunch and then Prabhupada asked Sridamarsh, please take my bed and take rest. And, and so Sridamarsh took a little rest after, after lunch and Prabhupada went down to perform the ceremony. 
So later, Govinda Maharaj, Chita Maharaj's disciple, asked that you invited Guru Maharaj here to preside over the ceremony, but you know you had him rest in your bed and you presided over that. How am I to understand that? And Prabhupada replied, "Oh, because he gave consent, gave his will, it was all done. I just carried it out physically because his will was behind it. I carried it out physically. I didn't want to bother him with actually having to go through the task, but just that he came and gave his consent." his will to preside over and bless the event, it was done. Mm -hmm. So the will, the intention is important. So if a great personality intends through a, a written form or recorded form to convey a mantra, like I received the mantra diksha from Prabhupada through a tape. Mm -hmm. Harinam, I received directly from him. I received the, the mantra through a tape. It works, I can tell you. The mantra works. <laughs> so some people may criticize that. I think that I think that there may be sadhus who criticize that, but I'm not here to fault them for that, rather than to find a reason why they're saying what they say and what they what their intention is. They wouldn't disagree with what I'm saying. There may be circumstances where they are emphasizing, for example, let's say there's been a, since the passing of Prabhupada, there's been uh, a fair amount of religious fanaticism about him and about his books. Mm -hmm. Like, all you have to do is read his books. That's all you have to do. And sometimes it's preached that all you have to do is read his books. Therefore, you don't need to associate with sadhus especially if they're outside of our, our corporate, you know, mission, everything's in Prabhupada's books. That has been used as a weapon. Everything's in Prabhupada's books to deny people, people's interest and intimidate them from hearing from sadhus who may have more spiritual power than persons in the society that, uh, that, that that's being propagated. Hmm? And so then that sadhu may come along and say, Reading the books is not sufficient. Sabda Brahman must be heard from directly from the sadhu. You know, he may give an emphasis like that for that purpose to counteract that. But he wouldn't disagree with, with, um, with what I'm saying either. And he's probably written books himself and thinks that reading them will be useful for the devotees. Uh, studying the Gita hmm, is mentioned at the end of the Gita as Gyan Yagya. Hmm? Those who study the Gita upside down, inside out, and backwards from every direction, Krishna, Krishna says, and share that with other devotees, you know, they're very dear to me. So there it's being recommended. There's a place for that. So I hope that helps. Does it? Yeah, Jai, uh, it does. I was also wondering just about the, I don't know, we're probably out of time here. Um, yeah, that helps. Thank you. No, go ahead. You have better follow uh, up. Yeah, yeah. Just about um, hearing about Krishna Leelas, for instance. Um, what's the, in, in that occasion, what would be the, the role of Shabda Brahman there? That's Super Shabda Brahman. <laughs> Maha Shabda Brahman. Harikata, hearing about Krishna. Uh, let me give you an example, and we'll conclude with this. In his, I think in the Bhakti Sandarbha, 
uh, Jiva Goswami pens a verse, and I believe he attributes it to Mahaprabhu himself. He says, Shotam api upanishadam dure harikatamritam. Shotam means shabda, means shotam is that which is heard. Shotam Brahma Upanishadam, from the, the sounds of the Upanishads, Ambramasmi, Tattvamasi, Neti Neti. This is Shabda Brahman, right? The sounds, the Vakyas, principal Vakyas, sounds of the Veda, inform the Upanishad. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that, or Jiva Goswami says that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, those sounds coming, that Shabda Brahman hmm, is Dure Harikatamrita, where you can arrive at within transcendence through those sounds is Dure, is very far from where you can arrive at by the, by the sound of Harikata. Hmm? And then he goes on to say in the second half of the verse, the, the result of such Harikata is the for example, the manifesting of the sattvika bhavas, hmm? involuntary ecstasies, weeping, fainting, and so on and so forth in, in, in bhakti rasa. Hmm? You can't get that by chanting tattva masi, hunger must me, but by harikata you can. So it is a maha, Mahaprabhu said, and Jiva Goswami said, he said, <laughs> that harikata, that is maha shabda brahman, to be sure. Okay, I mean, Krishna is, is, is the Param Brahma. So sounds about him, that's the Param Shabda Brahma. Is that all right? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Guru All right, so I think we have to, the other question, we have to save them for next week. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. There's one question, what is this one question? Tengo esta pregunta. So I have some questions. ¿Qué significa tomar refugio de Shinitai? What is the significance of taking refuge of Nitai? ¿Qué significa tomar refugio del maestro espiritual? What is the significance, as I understand, of taking refuge of the spiritual master? ¿Qué significa tomar refugio en sí? in the self. Okay, we'll save it for next week. Okay, which Thanks. is gracias. Todos los todos los mundos. Alrighty. Bravo. Thank you so much, Guru Dave. For answering the questions and being with us today. Um, so for some of the devotees who got on, which it seems like um, around 1230, daylight savings time happened. Um, so the class started an hour earlier. It seems like everyone's dropping out though. So <laughs> um, do you want to make some announcements, Archana? Yeah, just the classes and stuff. Yeah, just um, to remind everybody that we have a new series of classes, which pretty much take 
every day of the week, um, you have the opportunity to shrub the Brahman and be able to hear from um, saintly personalities and lots of variety. So um, I'm just going to run through the speakers and the classes so everyone can can write it down and try to get on um, regularly to the classes. So on Mondays at 11.30 Eastern Daylight Savings Time, Bhavanava Swami is giving his series on Vaishnava etiquette, continuing to do that, wonderful classes. Um, Tuesday, 11.30, all, these are going to be all Eastern Daylight Oh, yeah, yeah, let me do that. Thank you, Pamanava Swami. Mm -hmm. 